try to remove yourself from it when you do. It's not easy. I know that because, you know, you're kind of on one end of it and hardly a dispassionate observer. But name one rivalry in the NFL. No, 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 no. Not in the NFL. In professional sports right now, not necessarily historically, right now, that's better than Steelers versus Ravens. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dayon Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and this, the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. It's Steelers and Ravens again Sunday, 1.02 p.m. in Baltimore. I'm looking forward to being there to cover it. I look forward to every Steelers versus Ravens game and have for a very very long time. And that's really the thrust of what I want to get at here. It it's it's easy to look at a couple of teams that really don't like each other for 2 3 years. Maybe they had a rough playoff encounter or uh had like uh some fights whether it was a baseball bench clear or uh, you know a rough go in hockey or an incident like last year with the the Steelers and Browns and the helmet swinging but those things come and go those things come and go what makes a real rivalry is there has to be a genuine singular focus on that opponent when it comes to wanting to beat them. This is why, no matter what has happened in recent years between the Steelers and Bengals, and those are the nastiest games the Steelers as a franchise have played in the last 10 years, not with the Ravens but with the Bengals, the nastiest games, but it's never been a rivalry because the Bengals stink. The Browns talk it up once in a while, and they think they're better than they are, and then they come into Heinz Field and lose by 31. I'm sorry. That thing hasn't been a rivalry since I was a child. And it really wasn't that great back then either. It was just a lot of talk. It was outside talk. It wasn't a great rivalry. The Browns have not played meaningful football historically. Whereas the Steelers and Ravens have been going at it head-to-head, not just to win the AFC North, and of course it's one or the other that wins it every year, but on several occasions in the playoffs. And it goes beyond that. In the last 28 meetings, they've split them evenly. Half of the 28 meetings have been decided by three points or less. In most cases, by exactly three points. Six of the games actually finished in the exact same score, 23-20. to Crazy stuff. There's just so much of this that goes on, and it has transcended even changes in coaches because when Brian Billick was with the Ravens, he really was the one who started building up the Baltimore program in the image or in the mold in a respectful way of what the Steelers had built many, many years earlier in Pittsburgh. And John Harbaugh really inherited that and then took it in kind of his own direction. 
But when you get to the the evenness of this series, you're really getting to the essence of the discussion. It's a back and forth. Uh, it's usually the the season series gets split. Whoever's playing at home wins or so forth, or somebody else has a ton of injuries and something like what happened with the Steelers and losing both games last year. They obviously didn't have Ben Roethlisberger for either game. And yet the Steelers almost beat them at Heinz Field. Remember this? With backup quarterbacks, with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. Similarly, the, the Steelers played against a, a, a terrible Baltimore team that it really wasn't terrible. It was just devastated by injuries a handful of years ago. And the Ravens went and beat them, missing 24, 25 guys. Do you remember that one? Off the 53-man roster? And they won that game. Uh, all those cliches that people will apply to rivalries that aren't really rivalries, all of them apply to Steelers-Ravens. And then you get to the emotions of it, to the participants. We know about it from the Pittsburgh perspective. Uh, we especially know about it when we hear the guys who've been part of it the longest. This is what Ben Roethlisberger had to say about it yesterday. Well, I think this is what you know football fans want. It's what the NFL wants. I didn't get to play them last year. Um, and and I, I miss this. As much as this game hurts in terms of physically at the end of the, at the, end of the day, uh, you miss this rivalry because it is fun. Um, it, like I said, it's football in its purest form. And so um, it should be a good matchup, but we'll have our hands full. And that's it. And that's from the Pittsburgh side, which you know. You experience it. You live it. But what's so much neater and what really makes this thing go is that it's both sides. They don't see it any differently in Baltimore than they do in Pittsburgh. The Baltimore people, no matter what kind of games they have with the Browns or the Bengals or whoever, they don't ever say that somebody else is their rival, just like you don't say it in Pittsburgh. There's one rival. It's the Ravens. Down there, there's one rival. It's the Steelers. John Harbaugh, in speaking with Pittsburgh reporters yesterday, said, Every week is big. Every week is important. They all matter. But this is the Steelers. Really, really well done. Jimmy Smith, uh, a cornerback who's been in Baltimore for 10 years, told reporters down there yesterday, it's like that high school rivalry, that team that you want so badly to beat. I can't really explain the feeling of being in that game. See, that's cool, too, because now you know, you're picturing how some of these things, uh, especially at the high school level, because those are institutional, and those are grounded. I mean, those are deep in your communities and your families and your friends, and all that matters is beating so-and-so high down the river. And athletes, professional athletes, are always, are always basically just big kids playing a child's game. But my favorite one, my favorite one, you'll really like this one, is from Calais Campbell, the Outstanding defensive end that Baltimore paid big bucks to get last summer. And because 
he wasn't with Baltimore before, he'd obviously not been part of this. His line was, this is the game that they say, you're not really a Raven until you play against the Steelers. That's that's fun. That's cool. I, to swing this back to the beginning, tell me where else that exists. Tell me where else. You think about it, and I'll let you know that Daily Shot is brought to you by our friends at Mike's Beer Bar on Federal Street. Mike's Beer Bar and the North Shore Tavern are sister operations right next to each other on Federal Street. At Mike's, you get 500 taps. 20% of those are local. There's no place like it in the city. They also serve terrific food, have great people there. And if it's a full-blown meal that you're looking for at North Shore Tavern right next door, they have, and everybody's been talking about this, a dish called Steak on a Stone. That's exactly what it sounds like. The steak is served to you on an 800-degree stone, obviously, don't touch the thing, in which you can continue cooking the steak to your satisfaction. You cut it up, kind of lay it on its side. It's unbelievable. Check out mikesbeerbar.com for more information. The rivalries that come to mind. In baseball, you know, everybody talks about Yankees versus Red Sox, and and that is a thing and, and will be a thing, especially until there's a salary cap and you can have one or the other not being very good. I know the Red Sox stunk this year, but in general they don't. Um, and there's been playoff history, obviously, between the two, and they're in the division and everything else. I don't know that they've been at this level, meaning Steelers-Ravens level, of consistent performance, uh, of being so evenly matched. I could be wrong. Same goes for Dodgers-Giants. Giants have been up and down. Sometimes they win championships, and sometimes they're in last place. The Dodgers now spend so much money that they almost have no choice but to make it to the World Series. And there's always been some kind of off the field, whatever. but we're still talking about California, and I, I can't take animosity in sports in California all that seriously. It's just not that kind of environment. What else do we have? We have something in... Uh, we have something in the, in the NHL. I'll go with, I mean, Flames and Oilers is the one that jumps out. Uh, they have the most vicious bloodbaths. And being two franchises in the same province where they're really the only two significant cities in the province, in Calgary and Edmonton, there's something else to that. Uh, they've also been pretty good. At least they have some star players. Certainly Edmonton does. Um, and it goes back a ways, but it's also included a lot of years where both teams were were bad, and neither of them has contended for anything in quite some time. So they hate each other, and they build it up. Um, is that Steelers versus Ravens? I wouldn't say that because primarily the Oilers and Flames are really nothing in the larger scope of the NHL. They're not contending for anything. You know, if you have two of the best players on the planet on your team and you can barely qualify for playoffs, uh, as is the case in Edmonton, you don't have a whole lot going on. 
And, and the NFL, the NFL, they, I mean, they make a lot of the NFC East rivalries. The NFC East is just a dumpster fire this year. So I, 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 I'd be tempted to kind of throw that out. If you want to say, you know, Cowboys, Giants, Cowboys, Eagles, whatever, um, there's not really there. Historically, people talk about Bears versus Packers, but primarily it's historically because the Bears have been terrible for a long time. Even now when they're good, they're terrible. I'm sorry, that is the phoniest team with a winning record in the National Football League. Who am I missing? I, I mean, I probably shouldn't have skipped over Penguins versus Flyers, except that I don't know that you know. I don't know that there's a whole lot there ever since the Flyers stopped being goons and thugs. You know, I think that was the thing that really had Pittsburghers hating the Flyers more than anything else. I mean, the fans are obnoxious, but the team itself isn't anywhere near as detestable. The franchise isn't as detestable as it used to be. That mantle has been taken on more by. Columbus and maybe to a lesser extent Washington since they employ Tom Wilson. So I, I don't think I'm missing anything here. I don't think I'm missing anything. What's better than Steelers versus Ravens? What's better than this game, this matchup that we're going to see on Sunday between two of the National Football League's best teams again, year after year after year, contending in legitimate contention? They're going to play a game that's almost certainly going to be decided by three points, it's going to come down right to the wire. Everybody's going to be chewing their nails off, yelling at the TV set, cussing out Harbaugh, or in the other case, cussing out Tomlin from Baltimore perspective. That's that's the best rivalry. That's the best rivalry in sports. When we come back, some some baseball, but it, but it's annoying. The Dodgers are still World Series champions, but man, did they run into a mess of negative, damaging headlines, like immediately after Rob Manfred presented them with that piece of metal following their victory over the Rays. Justin Turner... And if you don't know exactly which one he is among the Dodgers, um, he's been around forever. He's the one with the red beard, uh, really noticeable when he's playing. It has a, a lot of energy and all that other stuff. Kind of a uh, an outspoken guy, too, has been in the past. One of the things he was outspoken about going back to July was in making sure that his teammates followed coronavirus protocol, that they would not become another Marlins. He he spoke up after the Marlins had come down with an outbreak and just really was passionate about it, and everybody wrote about it and was really effective. And then the Dodgers win game six, but within that, Turner is yanked mid-game because a test came back positive, and, and that's the procedure when that happens. And, and these labs have been coming back with tests at night just because they're trying as fast as they can to process information to try to keep people as safe as possible within the Major League Baseball pseudo-bubble. 
So he's told he's out of the game. He comes out. He is, at that point, required to go to an isolation room. Not with company, not with anything else, just him in a room. That's how it's supposed to work. Somehow, some way, because you, you know, you're not locking him in the room. You're not, he, you know, he's not in jail. You're not locking him in there. But he decides upon seeing his teammates win the World Series. And he's 35 years old. He's been around for a while, and this is a really big moment for him. He's been with the Dodgers for a few years, and he decides on his own, completely on his own, to defy Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball security, and yes, they have their own security contingent, and the orders of his own team, meaning Andrew Friedman, the GM, Dave Roberts, the manager, and he comes back out onto the field, and he participates in the team photo, takes his mask off, goes around and starts hugging people uh, repeatedly, and not just like teammates who he'd been spending time with, but... uh, teammates, family members, and wives, and just like like nothing had happened. Nothing had happened. Now, if this was somebody who, not that this would justify it, but if this was somebody who had this really firmly held belief against masks, or, you know, was some, uh, one of those, you know, the wackos that freak out over having a mask on, you could almost explain the behavior. You wouldn't justify it. You wouldn't rationalize it, but you could at least understand what led to it. This dude had done the polar opposite in July. And then he goes out and behaves like this. And oh, by the way, about an hour or two after the game, he tweets out on his official verified Twitter account that he wished he'd been able to go out on the field and celebrate with his teammates. Like, did you not think they were bringing cameras to the World Series? I mean, there's some special level of delusion that went on here. But more important than that, it was reckless, uh, thoughtless, irresponsible, selfish, And it wasn't fair to those people who were hugging him and everything else who wouldn't or couldn't have known about his positive test to act like that. Again, that's why I say no matter what it is that you believe in about this virus or what he believes about this virus. The point of the isolation and the point of the masks is to be respectful to other people. Those people have families. Those people have elders that if they go and infect them, they might kill them. Kill, K-I-L-L, so that he can go out and have a few laughs. Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball aren't happy with Turner, uh, to put it mildly. They had gone 54 days without a single positive test, including the whole way through these playoffs right up until the last day. And 
not blaming Turner for getting it, although it's easy to see now in hindsight that this dope could have done anything to get it. But this made all of that work and all of the effort, not just by the Dodgers and Rays and everybody in the playoffs, but by all major league teams, including the Pirates, for having kept such a clean track record over the course of four months. I've said again and again that nobody's handled this better than Major League Baseball. And then this clown comes along to make all the news after the final out of the World Series. He needs to be suspended in 2021, and he needs to be hit with something savage because this is not a normal infraction. This isn't something that he did to the game. This isn't something that he did uh, to an opponent. This is something he did to endanger people's lives, something that he did knowingly to endanger people's lives. 25, 30 games. I mean, I hate to even start quantifying people's health and lives in the context of silly little baseball games. But that would cost him a lot of money and it would send a message because this virus isn't going to be completely gone, believe me, when Major League Baseball returns. A really, really strong message, an unprecedented message needs to be sent to this moron. When we come back, a little bit of hockey. At Point Park University in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career ready. That's the point. Point Park University. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org. Welcome back. A little bit of hockey is promised. The American Hockey League announced yesterday that it's looking to start its season in the first week of February. And that dovetails to an extent with a blurting out, not at all an announcement, by the owner of the Vegas Golden Knights, Bill Foley, a few days ago that the NHL wouldn't start on its anticipated date or its announced date, January 1, but rather February 1. So as we're kind of piecing clues here together, we're going to be able to tell what's really happening behind closed doors and behind private Zoom calls among the people who run hockey in general because the AHL can't exist without the NHL. And it'd be really hard for the NHL to exist without the AHL, although that's not impossible, as we saw from the way baseball handled not having minor league teams in 2020. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by 
our friends Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. That's a personal injury law firm that represents people who are hurt in car accidents, who filed workers' comp, who filed medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG pride themselves in doing what they say they're going to do. They've been keeping promises for over 80 years. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City. You can learn more at lgkg.com or by calling 888-842-5454. I'm worried about hockey. I mean, I'm more worried about civilization. I always feel the need to say that. Like, you know, I'm worried about hockey. And while you're seeing that, you know, we're on pace to lose another 200,000 Americans over the next handful of months. It's it's not an easy thing to talk about sports as if they really, really matter. I have to just share that occasionally to let you know that I'm not unaware. Within the circumstance that is valuing how much we love hockey, I'm worried about hockey. There, how's that? We're uh, we're gonna have a hard time getting a hockey season together. I I, I really I, I believe that because as you see the virus increasing, particularly in the midwestern states, some of them savagely so. Wisconsin is just like on fire with it. Um, Hospitals are being filled up, and the numbers just keep spiking. Case numbers, of course, turn into hospitalizations. Hospitalizations result in overcrowded overcrowded hospitals can contribute to deaths on their own. Never mind coronavirus deaths, because people then can't get into hospitals when they need to. It, It becomes... A scary thing. It's something that we didn't really fully see, but epidemiologists have been saying all along that the so-called second wave was going to be worse than the first, and the first was obviously pretty bad unto itself. Baseball and football had some things going for them, uh, notably that they could be outside in very large venues. Also, that they could use TV money to help offset the very real losses that they'll still incur. Man, hockey's got none of that. I mean, it just doesn't. You know, hockey can't play its games outdoors, at least not on any consistent basis. You know, you can't just have 10 winter classics every night. you got to have people inside. And as a result, you have to be that much more mindful of spacing, not just in the seats, but also in the concourses and in the restrooms and everything else that I've seen now in baseball and football stadiums. But with football stadiums, I've now seen it with humans in them. You can spread them out very easily and comfortably in the seats. And you see that on TV and say, what's the big deal? You could get a lot more people in there. It's not the seats. It's escalators and handrails and elevators and handicapped and restrooms and eating. Those are the issues. That's where they're worried about the numbers, not the seats. 
hockey, you can multiply that level of worry 10 times over. Now add on top of that that the NHL doesn't have anywhere near the TV revenue to compensate for lost attendance. I mean, they pulled off the playoffs, but the playoffs, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, players don't collect salaries in the playoffs. They're paid by the round, and it's a very low number compared to what they get in the regular season. It's a fraction of it. So they could afford that, and they they would still collect their money from NBC and the Canadian Network's and I'm sure the league still lost money on it, but at least they went and they handed out the Stanley Cup. This is different. This is different. These these teams these teams can't afford this. There's not one team out of the 31 except maybe like the, the Maple Leafs or somebody else that makes a, a killing in other forms who can afford this. And I don't think the Leafs can either. You can't play in empty arenas. You can't play in partial arenas. Uh, and what constitutes partial? If we're allowing 5,000, 6,000 fans into 70,000-seat outdoor stadiums, how many do you think they'll let into PPG Paints Arena, which holds 18,500? What, 1,000, 2,000 max? Max? How do you make that work? you still got to pay Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang you know, they're not going to just say, you know what, this one's on the house, everybody. Sid probably might. <laughs> the rest of them won't. It's 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 daunting. And on one hand, I admire the fact that the NHL hasn't sounded sirens over this because I think everybody's kind of holding their breath and hoping that, you know, the vaccine will show up or a treatment will show up and, all right, let's go, let's do this. Let's proceed, just like we said, January 1 or February 1. But even then, the NHL can't play more than 50, 60 games. There's just no way. And again, I know what they're saying. They're saying we're set for an 82-game schedule. They aren't. They can't be. The reason for that is NBC, which pays them the most money, including during the playoffs, as I just mentioned, will not, take this to the bank, will not allow the Stanley Cup playoffs to cross over with the Olympics in Tokyo. And those are going off as planned. That has been set in stone by the International Olympic Committee, by NBC, by all the other networks that are involved. They're going to find a way, if they have to bubble that thing, and they can with the Olympics, they'll do it. They will have the Tokyo Olympics, already delayed by a year, take place in 2021 with set dates, and they will not allow the NHL to interfere with that. They're not going to have eyes distracted. So that doesn't leave the NHL much time, and yeah, you know where I'm headed here. It starts getting a little bit scary, because the more compacted that season gets, the more you wonder if it'll even get played in. Anybody who's been listening to me through this whole coronavirus episode knows that I've been anything but a sky is falling type about anything. I've been the one saying this is going to happen. This is going to happen. They are going to have sports. They are going to have sports. This is a different circumstance. 
this is different than what we've seen to date. Thanks so much for listening to this. We'll have one more show for the week tomorrow. It's going to be 100% Steelers versus Ravens.